Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome to another episode of SaaS District. On today's episode, we will be talking about how to run more effective growth experiments in your startup. Today, we have our guest, Emilia Chagas, with us. Emilia is known in the community as an expert in online marketing, enterprise content management, content strategy, growth hacking, and entrepreneurship. She started her career as a content manager at a marketing agency, managing multiple projects for enterprises and SMBs. While working at the agency, she came up with the idea of creating an easy-to-use software that streamlines the content creation process. That software, known as Content Tools at the time, was launched in 2015 and has grown and improved to where it is today. Ever since then, Amelia has been a full-time serial entrepreneur, starting as the founder and CEO of Content Tools, which is now known as Growth Hackers Workflow, which is a productivity and intelligence platform for marketing teams. The software allows marketers to replace dreadful spreadsheets, endless email threads, and limited data. With Workflow, marketing teams can centralize their entire content marketing operation in a single location to easily plan, manage, collaborate, and publish across entire teams. Last year, Content content Tools joined operations with Growth Hackers, a company originally founded by Sean Ellis, in order to offer a full stack of software for growth and marketing using AI at its core. Emilia is currently the CEO of Growth Hackers, which many of you may already know, an online community for the growth obsessed to connect and get inspired from other top marketers in the marketing industry. Welcome, Amelia. Nice to be chatting with you again and uh, glad to have you on our show today. Hopefully that was a good introduction if you want to add anything. Wow, <laughs> it was. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much. You're so yeah. kind, Akil. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, if you, if you wouldn't mind, maybe before we get in, can you just share a bit about kind of your background and you know when it was it that you really kind of decided to really bec- first become an entrepreneur? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people who um, say they were always entrepreneurs. They never worked for anyone else. And I actually admire these people a lot. That's not my case. (laughs) I uh, am a journalist. My background is in uh, content creation, content uh, productivity and processes. And uh, I worked for many uh, large corporations, companies, organizing the completion process um, and doing everything that now our software does. <laughs> I used to do it by hand, using a lot of these dreadful spreadsheets you, you just described. And um, actually, the the, uh, the will to start um, a solution for a problem that I found in my own industry, a problem that I had on my daily basis and talking to others, um, other content managers, other um, people like myself, I saw everyone had the same problem. No one had a specific solution for it. Um, And that actually was my first motivation. I searched for many types of solutions that were back then and none would have all the capabilities that I wanted. And I thought, well, someone has to do this. <laughs> Why not me? And from this question, I searched for uh, serial entrepreneurs, people who had backgrounds um, different than my, my own, and found this amazing group of people uh, in my hometown that were launching a series of startups. They were funding and launching uh, startups from the beginning. 
And from these first ideas, I pitched them and they said, well, uh, it's certainly an interesting idea. It could become a business. Let's test around it. Let's see if the market's prepared for something like this. We did that um, along with other uh, six uh, startups we've launched all together from these, uh, from what I can recall, uh, not only ourselves, but other four of other uh, moved forward, uh, which is already a great number for a small batch of startups. And um, the other three were already either acquired or um, got like larger. One of them was um, acquired by a a very large company. It was a a really interesting uh, deal back in 2018. Mm So yeah, uh, Content Tools ultimately uh, got together with Growth Hackers also in 2018, and we uh, joined to solve even a larger problem that we noticed that um, Growth Hackers were solving for the ideation and the experimentation process, something that marketing teams and content teams that use our platform also had, and we were solving for processes that were already happening. And with Growth Hackers tools, you could ideate and experiment. But once a project actually worked and you had to push this pro- project and follow all the tests, then everything that, it, that was going on and, and needed to happen for the idea to come to life, um, that software was not uh, uh, offering that. So we joined forces and now marketing teams, product teams, can not only ideate with us, but also follow their projects. And um, we don't want them to stop there because we also notice that for marketing, for products, the processes are not a uh, plan, uh, do, uh, or plan, execute, and analyze uh, only. It's mm-hmm. actually a will. And from analyzing, they actually have to come back to ideation and do it all over again. Right. And this will right now, with project management tools that have a consulting standing point or a project uh, point of view where once I'm done with a task, it actually goes away. Mm -hmm. It's not enough for them. They need more than done. Done is actually the beginning for most of these teams. They have to go from done to what I learned from here and how can I move forward. And that's what we are bringing to the table for the market right now with Growth Hackers Insights, uh, collecting all of the data, all of the information that they have for projects that are live, content that is um, already published, collecting all of the information they have, processing automatically with their algorithm, and giving back not the, well, this is done, this is the results, this is the reports, and all of the boring data that most marketers have to deal with every day we actually give them this is actually what happened and what you should do from here mm. so from done we also get more insights and more actions to improve the strategy improve the next level of our um our goals and our strategies that's what we're, we're bringing here makes sense yeah and ju- just kind of rewinding back to the beginning i'm kind of curious so when you had that problem that you were facing at a, at a personal level through, you know, working and you, you saw that inefficiency um, to where you actually decided to launch and validate in the market. What did that kind of look like where, you know, was it just yourself and saying, hey, I'm going to go speak to a couple of people and say, 
hey, th- is this a real problem? Would you pay for this? Or, you know, did you go to a couple? Uh, I know you have some other co-founders. Uh, did you try to build a team of, of founding members first? Um, or did, was it just that network? And you said, hey, let's let's get to get together and build this because there is a demand. I'm, I'm kind of curious how that went from that, that, that's, that step there. Yeah, we yeah. actually uh, had a few uh, the co-founders were already with me, but part time. I was full time in the uh, in the business, testing the idea with the market. They were full time helping me mentoring, and uh, actually, when I needed uh, that uh, product to come alive, we tested with some MVPs first, so minimum viable products. I did a lot of repetitive uh, processes that could be plugged with different uh, free tools. Uh, I mean, we did a lot of things to test and to see and check if a software was one needed, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's not, I, I love that, um, that sentence. I think it's from that quote from Eric Ries. Uh, it's not about, I could this be done, but should this, this, this be done, right? Like, is there a need for this? And right. that's, that was the, the, the question actually nagging me all the time. Like, I know it's my problem. I know it's a problem for my, a lot of people in my industry, but it's a real business problem. Is it something that people can actually, uh, or need um, to improve their work lives, to improve the productivity of their teams, to actually see some ROI out of it, right? So uh, if a business invests in a software, they want to see the return over this investment, that's for sure. And that was actually what we were testing in the beginning. So I was definitely going after many companies uh, and offering uh, a solution and actually listening a lot, like trying to learn the problem from their point of view. Mm. And I remember I, I once went to this, uh, uh, that, that was actually one of the, the best memories in terms of customer validation, customer development that I have. Uh, back, uh, we were in 500 startups. We had this MVP going on. It was working well and wanted to launch globally. It, that It was back in 2015 when we actually launched the, the software. And I went to this um, beauty company, like a great brand, very well known. And the content manager was an engineer. And that's actually a great trend. A lot of uh, marketers are actually have an engineering background, development background. And, uh, and that's for sure something that um, it, 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 it came to, to change the market. Um, it's not only creatives that are interested and can bring uh, a lot of value to the table in marketing, but also engineers and, and developers. And she was an engineer and she was um, telling me about her concentration process and how it went. And I was just there listening to her. Just, w- w- I was actually just listening. Mm-hmm. And by the end, I, I hadn't even offered the MVP that we had back then or any solution uh, to that point. But after she described all the process for her to approve ideas, uh, brainstorm ideas with her team, approve ideas, create content, publish them online, distribute them, and then analyze and, and uh, come up with the results. By the end, she was tired. I mean, she <laughs> took a deep breath and said, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I'm an engineer. How, how is this happening? I mean, how am I leading this type of process right now? Really? Right. And then I, I had the perfect opportunity to pitch her content tools that is now Girl Packers Work Plenty. Listen, 
a lot of things that you're doing, like manually with different tools. Actually, this should be centralized and it, your team shouldn't be doing and redoing all of these minor tasks. They should be as worried with the strategy as you are, as worried with the results analysis as you are, like let's save 80% of this, right? And, and that actually became a reality, not only for them, but for other thousands of teams that use our software today. We have uh, great results like companies like HubSpot, and you think, well, HubSpot is such a huge company in terms of content creation. They, are, they have amazing, uh, an amazing content strategy. They are market leaders, and they inspire a lot of people. Certainly, their content creation process is all solved for. Actually, we found out that they could actually use a lot of help. And within one month using our software, they had speed up 60% of the process for reviewing and analyzing content. So wow. uh, this is the type of things that we discovered uh, afterwards uh, when the software was already there, already in the market. Yeah, I imagine she was sold after that conversation. Just that, you know, Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny uh, how engineers are, seem to be kind of moving, myself included. So I'm an engineer originally. I think it's just the the mentality of, you know, that optimization and continuous improvement and then, you know, building out processes that kind of translate over to, uh, you know, marketing really well. Um, yes, exactly. The wheel that I was talking about, I mean, the never-ending yeah. process. I think engineers can look at that and improve so much. Exactly. That's, that's all we look at, Yeah. Um, so I believe you said you have is it three co-founders or four, including yourself on the yeah. team. Um, you know, that that's a kind of a challenge that I find, you know, normally I usually see, you know, uh, a biz dev and more of like a technical, you know, there's usually two kind of co-founders. How do you guys were you able to balance and navigate, you know, the decision making with three different people and how are you guys to, you know, continuously able to maintain that success and growth over time and that relationship and trust and, yeah. uh, you know, fairness with, with four people? It's interesting. Yeah, we're definitely very tied and we occupy different positions in the business. We have areas of expertise of our own. So um, market wise, I take that I, I have the background that I deeply I have a deep connection with our uh, ideal customer profile. I am. Uh, this is my thing. Uh, and we have our uh, tech uh, co-founder is Elton, and he has a background of developing many startups and products and softwares in the past. Uh, we have someone, uh, Pedro, uh, has a background in sales, and he leads the sales team. He develops the acquisition strategies. He's actually now the growth leader for the company. Cool. Um, and William, uh, he is uh, the operations, he has the background in finance and operation, and he's right now leading the customer success team. Uh, we um, understood that uh, developing a, a very CRO uh, type of process for the customer success team, we could uh, have a great success not only for our own, but also for our customers, and William is uh, doing that. So. We definitely have our own um, different uh, stages to shine. And I think that uh, creates a lot of balance uh, in the relationship. We have weekly meetings um, and we have uh, a lot of interactions where uh, one thing that I, I like to do with them uh, as co-founders, and I also incentivize a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurs that I know to do the same is to to develop a friendship uh, with your with your co-founders too, you know, I care about these people, mm. and um, 
we get together sometimes when we need to have like important difficult meetings i like to do that in like uh pleasant scenario so we go out and we go to the pool or we go to a restaurant by the beach to have tough conversations because i want this to be you know i want i yes. want these conversations to be also uh pleasant and for us to look back to them and and see how we grew how we evolved with them so that's something of my concern i know that uh, you i could have the same meetings the same conversations in a business environment or like in our office but i think these like tiny um details also bring a lot to the table when we are um making a decision or thinking back of the people we care most and and, and such mm. so yeah definitely when we have decisions to make in regards of products on how the product team is conducted and the, the, the processes for, for products or, or if this feature will be deployed today or in a week, Elton would have um, a voice that the other three of us, we know that should be in, in, is respected. Uh, and the same goes for the growth um, side of the company and the retention side of the company and uh, the interactions with the market. So we definitely, have a lot of um of, of balls uh in the air like mm. every startup has yeah. but the four of us we know which one <laughs> to catch and right. who catch the others you know right. so none will fall to the ground so you guys have kind of you've matched out like you know maybe almost perfect complementary skill sets where you guys are just kind of able to run kind of independently and grow um, kind of without depending on each other. And I, I really like that tip you shared about, you know, like when you're having difficult conversations, getting people into a comfortable environment. Um, I think that's something I'm actually going to try and, and I think I recommend other people to try. Take them to a restaurant, take them to the pool, have a but drink. It's and then, harder right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, virtual, yeah, drinks, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. 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 And then, yeah, then. But even get, if we can use like silly filters on your camera, Mm. definitely go for it and and try to to make things like lighter you know like sometimes yeah. we have i mean our our daily routines are so um intense mm. and so much happens every day every week it's easy to just uh push and disregard completely the emotions around you right like people right now are more uh sensitive they're more emotional so take this uh, like into and, and use this. I mean, right. that's, that's what I think. Like you can use this in your favor and for the benefit and the growth of your company. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Um, and on terms of the, the growth side, what have you guys found, you know, personally for, your, you know, other content tools or growth hackers, workflow software um, to be like the most effective channels that you found to be successful? Or, or also on the other side, what has been least effective? What have been some failures you could, you could share? On the marketing side well we definitely tested around after we decided from our own data from the customers that were having more success with us we moved completely like mid-size and up um in the early days in the beginning we were serving any marketing team any team that needed uh software like ours we were serving them i think that's common for many startups but once we noticed that the companies that were actually seeing us like a painkiller 
uh, instead of a vitamin, mm-hmm. <laughs> where the, the larger teams, the more complex teams, the enterprises and, and mid-sized companies, larger uh, size companies, we decided to only target those. So that was um, a decision that we had. Like, and, and we considered many enterprise sales um, uh, approaches. One of them, of course, a lot of companies have boots on the ground. We considered that, we tested that that did not work for us so one thing that we understood is that for our target our ideal customer profile even if they are working in larger companies they are purchasing and, and making decisions online like mostly especially for technology for my tech uh for us having like of course having uh, offline interactions having um our own conference once a year is super important for that for like uh, bonding and, and, and connecting with customers and potential customers. But uh, we don't have right now a uh, team like knocking on doors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we actually have everything online, all of the, um, the qualification process for leads, the, the, um, the, the acquisition strategies, everything is online. One other thing that we, it took a long while for us to actually test and discover was a paid channel. Okay. There's an airplane going by, so uh, maybe you hear something. That's okay. Yeah, that's actually rare right now. So. Yeah, no one's <laughs> yeah. traveling now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, um, paid channels is something that we grew a lot with our own content strategy, having um, Either content tools had a, a, a strong content strategy, starting off with partnerships with companies like HubSpot and other companies in our uh, our market. We got together to develop um, tools, free tools, and uh, also a lot of uh, ebooks and webinars and something like that that brought us leads. And with these leads, we were able to learn a lot and to offer the solution for them and, and have our uh, first hundreds of, of, of customers. And after that, we felt the need to uh, start testing with paid channels. And the, uh, for paid channels, one that we thought would work a lot, but didn't, was probably AdWords. Mm. We were actually competing for a very high price with, not only with competitors would, would be expected, but also with partners and companies that had nothing to do with our solution. The companies mm. are so mixed up. And people sometimes looking for like event platforms. They were also searching for our keywords. Mm. I mean, it was definitely, yeah, it was a, a, a great learning. But other solutions more targeted uh, for uh, where you can like actually digging deeper, like LinkedIn and, and others were definitely looking better mm. and worked better. But definitely uh, organic is still one of our first uh, channels and uh, is the channel that brings the most of premium accounts, trial accounts. And right now what we have in place is a PQL, um, uh, product-led growth um, strategy, and we qualify the, the leads. So the PQL is the product-qualified leads come to the inside sales team and the sales team helps these leads develop these uh, users and, and teams develop on the, the software. They learn more about the software. Mm. They uh, take their first wins with the software and then they decide to move forward and to actually implement company-wide. Uh, and that's how we are, we're doing in the moment. Cool. So a lot of content marketing, um, you know, 
you tried some paid advertising, you know, webinars, giving free trials, free tools, integrations, uh, and partnerships seems to have worked. You guys tried some pay-per-click and then, you know, also outbound, which, you know, surprisingly, you know, I, I know you guys had a pretty good system there, but just didn't convert as well as you hoped. Now, if, if you're kind of a brand new startup and you're maybe limited on terms of your resources and you're kind of maybe tackling the same thing, or if you guys were to do it again, um, where would you say to, to focus your energy or where would you recommend to start at least deploying and, and uh, testing first some, some channels? Yeah, I would definitely start off uh, with the product-led growth strategy. Uh, we developed that later on. Uh, we first had that traditional uh, talk to us um, and, and then uh, receive a, a free tour for the, the software approach. And now the, the, the free tour is done like um, automatically uh, with the platform. That improves the, the experience for the uh, for the users a lot. Um, so I would kick off with that definitely, and I would uh, research and do the outbound, but very targeted, very very targeted. Like with mostly like an ABM strategy. Mm -hmm. If I were like starting, we we kind of do that already, uh, <laughs> but we we bring people mostly for like the funnel, like top funnel, and then we. we uh, we educate and, and help them through uh, all the process. Being a niche too, I think that's also something that uh, is different for us for that. Um, if you have a niche solution, if you have like a broader solution, it really depends on the market and how you solve for a problem. But definitely I would not start with directly with state channels. Like mm -hmm. that's something we did not do in the past. And I, I don't think I would do it uh, if it were today. For a simple reason, I think that also disguises your learning, uh, your learnings in terms of who your customer is and uh, the ability to actually accelerate growth and um, be in charge and and and, and have um, uh, and are actually a reliable idea of your customer acquisition costs. That's something in the size of the of the market. I mean, so so many discoveries mm -hmm. that if you if you do these discoveries, um, uh, like tapping on um, a large budget for paid channels, you never know. I mean, you never know if you if your business would be able to walk on their own sure. <laughs> one yeah. day or not. And in a time like this, I think it's it's important to actually have this idea uh, for a product market fit early on and be certain that your solution is actually solving for your customer on the long term and not on the short term, not because they saw your ad somewhere and decided to try and maybe they'll quit in six months. So um, in, in the early days, I think paid channels can actually create uh, guys instead of uh, true learning. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a good learning. Now, another um, strategy of growth is, you know, growth through acquisition. I know it's not something people think of right away. Just obviously it's a, a lot more expensive and maybe not the first thing you think about. Um, you know, Content Tools was, you know, I think acquired uh, and partnered with Growth Hackers. What, what was your kind of decision make, uh, you know, making framework at the time to decide whether, you know, how is this a good investment that we should, you know, move forward with this as a growth strategy versus 
um, you know, mm-hmm. investing in, you know, what's been working or, you know, testing out other strategies. I'm, I'm curious how that mm-hmm. framework. Definitely the, um, uh, the letter that I mentioned for the top funnel uh, and how we saw that organic was working so well for us um, and how complementary these solutions were. Mm-hmm. I mean, these three points were what we could think uh, that would definitely make a difference for the business. At the, at the same time, um, such an early partnership like ourselves, both for us and Growth Hackers, um, becoming one company uh, in such an early stage of the business is truly a risk. I understand that, definitely. Mm-hmm. And for us, the factor that made us think that we are minimizing this risk a lot was how well we knew uh, Sean, uh, the founder of Growth Hackers, and he knew us. And not only the businesses were co- uh, complementing each other, the, the software, the vision. Mm. And one thing that actually early on drew us uh, closer was the roadmap for the software. So we had such a similar roadmap. We we're developing and we face facing the software today and, and joining the solutions in one uh, as we're doing today we can see we could if, if we had partner earlier we would have saved a few hundred lines of code and <laughs> and definitely moving forward uh, we'll do just that we can solve for many more teams many more uh teams with the same uh, resources that we're investing right now so it's a matter of not only um, adding the the expertise, the softwares, and the, the the audiences, but also dividing the the effort to do so. Interesting, makes sense. Um, and then I, I understand that you went through some kind of a acceleration program. I know you also mentioned five hundred or five hundred startups um, at some point during your startup. How valuable would you say was that that program and in, in your the success of where it is today? Um, and what key takeaways did you get from that program that you, you could say that you actually apply to content tools? And then, a, a, you know, if, if you do recommend it to other founders to go down that route as well. Well, uh, it really, I think it really depends on the stage of your development, stage of your company. We were very like pre-seed. Uh, we had a successful MVP. We had the dream of launching a global uh, solution or a solution in a global scale. We definitely need the the expertise from mentors that had gone through that same route, and we found that with five hundred. Um, I think you have if you have this opportunity to learn from others and to accelerate your own growth as an entrepreneur. I'm a first time founder, and I think that definitely changed how things are done for a company. Not only like simple uh, development processes, uh, sales or growth strategies that we've implemented early on, or some things that we even decided not to implement early on and, and, and save for later, those types of like decisions that um, serious entrepreneurs make because they've been through it, they've uh, suffered through bad decisions uh, um, uh, in, in other companies, I was actually uh, a sponge there. I was learning so much. I was uh, experiencing with my um, business what others had with tens of others. 
So not only that, I think the, uh, like at, the, at risk of being like too <laughs> sentimental, but sure. I think um, the, the network that you create during an acceleration process is also very important. Uh, we have founders that have gone through 500 with us. We are in touch to this day. Uh, we help each other. Uh, if someone is, I mean, going through like, oh, like, uh, a round of funding, uh, I, I need an intro, or um, I actually need to connect with this customer that you have, let's work together. These types of like uh, of things that the more people you know, the more uh, prosperity, prosperity I think you can bring to, to your business. Right. So you have uh, obviously the access to all these mentors and advisors and uh, you know, consultants who give you kind of maybe lead you in the right direction. And one thing they seems like is, you know, they don't just tell you what you should be focusing on, but uh, it's more about like what you talked about earlier is like what to say no to, which I think is actually probably more important than taking on every single opportunity that, that, that comes our way. <laughs> what would you have say you've, you've done differently if you were, you know, starting content tools or, you know, the, the workflow software today? What would you have said you've done differently or have said no to early on based on kind of your lessons other than some of the stuff you mentioned already, whether it's through a team, whether it's through product? Uh, actually, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. That's a difficult question because uh, uh, really what we decide to early on or, or what do we do or don't do actually bring us where we are today. And I really think where we are is a great place to be. So. I don't think I would have done things differently. Maybe some things that we've done uh, in the past uh, could have been done. I mean, earlier perhaps we um, we've raised um, a pre-seed round, uh, like we call it an angel round with 500, and then a seed round in 2018. Okay. I really think that that. Uh, gave us time enough to learn a lot with our business and to make decisions that we wouldn't if we had raised either more money or in a short period of time i think we would have moved with the early strategy that was like selling for everyone we would have like a very inflated business for people who wouldn't be like the best targets or wouldn't be like enjoying the software as they they do today so I think some um, some decisions that we, you take and sometimes you think, oh, is this the right one? Uh, how will that impact the business um, after a few uh, months or years? Um, if you actually have the sustainable growth in mind and not a simple like short-term milestone, I need to get to this. MRR to raise around, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. I think you're actually thinking long term, the um, ability for you to actually get there and get there with a better business is, um, I mean, it's much more likely that you will if you if you have the the mindset for sustainable growth. In, I mean, uh, in your business and and within all of your your team and especially the founders. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, more looking at it from a, a long-term perspective than versus making short-term decisions. I think that's very easy as a as a startup founder, any you know entrepreneur is just really looking at the the short term. But yeah, if you're if you're lucky and you have that kind of capability to stay disciplined and think long-term, I think that's that's huge. Um, you know, Growth Hackers community. 
Um, I'm curious from your perspective, I, I, th- I believe Sean coined that term. Um, what, what does growth hacking mean to you? Like, what is, is it mentality? Is it, you know? Yeah, for me, it's, uh, it's more like a process in itself. It's a methodology for how you, uh, how you do things mm-hmm. in terms of growth, how you, you run uh, experiments how you organize your company around growth. For me, it's mostly that. And, and that comes from Sean's experience from his um, work with amazing companies like Dropbox, Stephen Bright, and, and so many others where he actually had to start from zero, from scratch, and uh, build these, uh, these processes himself with his team and learn and also, you know, all, all, everything that goes around that. And, um, the, the ability that he had to um, experiment and to expand the company's growth, not only in the regular marketing way of looking to top funnel and then conversion, but also going beyond that and thinking about how the product drives growth. How, uh, if I improve the experience for my users, how can I drive more referrals and how can I create this cycle of fast um, growth with high tempo testing. So basically, the the process in itself for growth for me is what growth hacking is. I know that the term is a little bit deteriorated, especially for the hacking part. People take growth hacking and think of, um, I mean, things that I can do that are like fast and I will like launch this viral strategy and things will, will like the, the silver bullet, you yeah. know, like with growth hacking. That's definitely not the way we want you to think. Sure. <laughs> we want you to think like sustainable growth and how can I um, help uh, the, the um, number of potential customers uh, find your product faster or, or um, extract value from your product faster or stay with your product longer by testing around your channels, testing around your own processes and your own your product as well. We have many companies using our methodology, using our software, and they are not even software companies. They are product-oriented companies. Many of them are like, um, companies in the um, food and beverage space or um, the government of Australia, one of their agencies uses growth hacking to experiment before they launch a new project. So this, as you mentioned, a mentality, right? It, it can be a mentality, but it's a mentality put in practice. It's actually what I can do with this mentality that growth hacking is about. Mm. And as a as another SaaS uh, founders is looking to get into this, what are some resources or tools that you usually recommend to them who want to start, you know, growth hacking their startup in the way that we, we know it? I think the first one um, would be to actually dig deeper into the data that you already have, how your users are actually using your product, and you may find, I mean, many companies find that they are not using as they imagine, or they could be extracting more value from, I mean, features that you take a long time developing and then just a few customers use or a portion of your customers use and how to actually create this uh, and improve the usage of what you already have prior to launching your thing. So I think the, the need for growth hacking in software companies is actually to, uh, to either avoid or stop with the product that 
cycle. The product death cycle is simply launching and you think a lot of people will come, many times they do, and then you flatten your, your growth rate or your growth uh, curve and then you think, okay, if I launch this other feature, if I launch to this other audience, if I do this and this and this, and then you grow with peaks of, uh, of search or peaks of, of uh, users coming. And if you stop doing that, your project will actually be, I mean, done, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's actually creating that, um, I will use a word that is not the best, but it's like a, almost like an addictive sense of why customers need to actually use that uh, and create a habit. I think habit's the best word for this, like a better one, but you can create a habit for users with your products and how you do that, what tiny improvements, and many of these improvements many times don't even need coding. In many cases, you don't need to code your user way into your product. You can use uh, simple tour solutions or sometimes even email flows. And um, many growth teams find out that they will actually need, in the beginning at least, a lot less coding than they expect. And um, improvements sometimes in uh, UX will do that for them. So yeah, um, definitely using your data, understanding your user behavior, and then coming up with ideas to improve this user usage of your products, testing these ideas, analyzing this test, and only launching some change product-wise or for the entire company, for the entire product, once you actually have the proof that that works, that, that's what growth hacking is all about and doing that over and over and over again. So um, that's actually where the need for our product comes um, from the amount of tests I'm running at the same time in different areas of the product or in, in different uh, levers of growth from acquisition to activation to, I mean, revenue or referral and so on. And I do so many tests at the same time uh, that I need to keep track of everything and if i can keep track with a software that actually pulls it automatically tells me if that works or didn't automatically even better and i can learn faster and let's be honest the SaaS business the, the the software business is all about who learn, learns faster from their own user base right that's right these are the winners right now hmm. so it's that continuous kind of continuous development kind of mentality, whether right? so it's the same thing, you're just applying it to your marketing strategy and your, your growth and, and not being able to, to settle or being happy with, you know, the status quo of what you build something and just keep, you know, having that mentality to keep having to improve. Right. And it seems like that's what you guys have done. And exactly. yeah, it's the same. You live what you breathe, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I also noticed you guys have your, your Growth Hackers Conference. Um, I believe it was postponed to September 1st now, obviously with, with travel restrictions and whatnot. Uh, for people of those who, who are looking to attend, what can they expect at this conference and who do you recommend should be attending this kind of conference? Definitely, yeah. Uh, we have a group of different uh, growth professionals attending from um, product managers to um, a lot of um, growth analysts and uh, to the chief growth officers and uh, chief product officers, VPs of growth. So there are different um, takes that you can have from the conference. What the uh, talks have in common from 
companies from the B2B space, software space, B2C commerce, I mean, media, all kinds of industries. We bring them to uh, to the stage if they have a proven um, growth approach that is unique, that is creative, that is uh, something that we can learn from as well. Um, all of them will be very um, candid in opening their learnings on stage not only what worked but especially what did not work exactly. and i think that's uh, where it gets richer yeah for all the growth professionals there uh, it's how you can save a lot of a lot of time either by having and and what we see from past conferences is that people actually open their notebooks that they're actually having tons of ideas they want to implement like that other company and sometimes there are companies that companies that are not even in your space or they're not you're a you're a, a b2b software they are like a, a mobile app but they had some so many like great tasks that they ran and you want to run similar ones uh so i think that's mostly it's like getting like one day full day uh of thought so the next uh day you can i would say come to the office but actually <laughs> <laughs> And go into your home office or stay in your home office yeah. and actually implementing all of these ideas. Nice. Yeah, I can imagine like if people running a workflow or experiment, 90% of it is, is probably failed experiments. Um, and then, you know, what we normally see is the people who 75, take that. 75? 75? Yeah. Oh, 75. Okay. 75%. Yeah. Oh, 75% wow. that from the most successful growth yeah. teams. Okay? Yeah. Uh, 75% for them do not work. But you know what? These is not a failure example yeah. this is actually a success because if you're running a test the test does not work mm. that means you're not spending in deploying a project that would be about to fail <laughs> right point, so you're yeah. actually saving a lot of resources and time from your team and, and sometimes even uh, budget uh with that so yeah. having 75 percent of your experiments not working is completely normal and mm. actually is the rate for interesting I, I didn't know that that was the amount I, I, I imagine though most people when they what they do is they start sharing that that 25 percent of like hey this is what we did and then this is our results but i <laughs> yeah, actually think that's actually, interesting that... totally if you're if you're starting off <laughs> yeah. as a growth manager in a company that did not have any growth before like any growth team anything related to growth before yeah. you'll definitely be very vocal about the 25 sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> it needs to be you need yeah, to be yeah exactly that's what you get gets the other promotion right yeah <laughs> yeah cool Thank, thanks a lot Amelia. Where, where can people uh you know learn more about you where can they get in touch with you and how can they learn more about growth hackers as well definitely yeah if you go to growthhackers.com uh we have like a full community sharing what they know best about growth and how their companies are, are growing uh, right now, we even have this COVID-19 um, hashtag there where companies are sharing how they are growing right now, like they are, how they are going for growth right now. Uh, so we have incredible resource there. Uh, my email is amelia at growthhackers.com. I always reply, so feel free to hit me um, on my email if you want to uh, to chat more and to learn more about growth, about um, content, growth hacking or anything related. And definitely the Growth Hackers Conference is a great place to start off. We have the Growth Hackers University, Sean's certification uh, for uh, future growth masters, 
uh, is also there available if you want um, a very uh, actually if you don't mind we can share with your audience a uh, uh, discount coupon or a code for them to access the the growth master certification oh. that's definitely yeah, yeah we, that'd can, be awesome. we can have them logging in yeah and learning for free and learning how to become better at growth Okay, I appreciate that. We'll we'll add that to the show notes. We'll also awesome. add you know, all your contact information. Okay, thank you. Yeah. That, this was great, Let's Amelia. As usual, nice nice chatting with you, and uh, thank you so much. Thanks, likewise. All right, stay safe. Eh? Thank you. Thank you all for listening in to today's episode. Don't forget to join us for another episode where we interview top leaders and experts in the business and SaaS industry. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you please give us a five star review on iTunes. That would be really, really appreciated. Otherwise, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or improvements for this podcast, please feel free to send it directly to me on our website at horizoncapital.com. Or you can just tweet me at Akil Jabbar. Thanks again and hope to see you guys on the next episode.